Welcome to Nola Relation College Football. I'm your co-host, Steve Payson, and I have to apologize. We had some technical difficulties in recording this podcast. You will definitely hear them, and again, I apologize for those. We did get the problem solved halfway through, and you will hear that difference also. Since I am also the producer of this, I have to go through here and I'll edit out some items, and if it happens to sound choppy, I apologize for that also. Uh, We'll go through and make sure it tries to flow nicely, and we get the subjects that we wanted to talk about. So with that, here is episode number three, technical difficulties of No Relation College Football, G5 versus P5. Hello and welcome to No Relation College Football, G5 versus P5. This is episode number three, and my name is Steve Payson, and I'll throw it over to my other co-host. And I am Trey Payson, and where we're going to look down into the Power 5 versus Group 5 football in the topsy-turvy COVID world that is this season. Tell me about it. Um, yeah. Uh, Every single game that I was going to watch, including my own Boise State, was canceled. Boise State was a really unique in, in situation. Usually you get the cancellation on Tuesday, Wednesday, and maybe at the latest Thursday. How about four hours prior to kickoff? That was a shock um, just because of increasing cases inside of Boise State and the contact tracing that has to go along with it. They weren't able to field the team. Well, I think I think it's I think it's possible that Boise State uh, just wanted San San Jose to come up and take a look at the capital city and get a, get a nice feel of the city. It's it's a nice city this time of year, and maybe they just needed to get away right around the holidays. Uh, I would agree with that. Um, I haven't been around <laughs> San Jose very much, but yeah, I'm I'm kind of partial to Boise. Um, so with that, I was going to watch, uh, I can't even remember cause it got canceled earlier in the week and that got thrown out. And so I tried picking another game. That one got canceled. And so well, I'll stick with Boise state. Lo and behold, Boise state got canceled. So I was flipping through, ca- through flipping through all types of channels and all types of games. Um, watched a little bit of the LSU A&M game, and I ended up sticking on that just because it was a um, more defensive, but we'll get more into how ugly the offense was. How'd your, go, how'd your week go, Trey? Well, once again, I was kind of up in the air to watch because they're just – the marquee matchups weren't that appealing to me. So I finally settled on uh, Vanderbilt and Missouri. And it was only for the simple fact, and no, it wasn't for. I, I used to work at Vanderbilt. I, I, I the school. Uh, I enjoy a lot of the things they do, but the main reason I wanted to see what what was going on. So Vanderbilt's had a very rough year when it comes to kickers, so much to the point where they have outsourced within the school to other sports. They went and looked at the goalie for the Vanderbilt women's soccer team, okay? And they basically went up to her and asked her, hey, since you've just won the SEC championship in women's soccer, 
do you think you want to try something else? Like, could be a kicker for the football team. And lo and behold, she was all about it. So Sarah Fuller, big, 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 big props to her. I I was truly wanting more, but because Missouri put such a thumping on Derek Mason's squad, she only got one opportunity to kick. But it was real interesting because she got it was sort of this squib placement kick thing. And uh, I mean, it worked. It was a perfect placement. I mean, it was right between oh, yeah. the lines. It, it looked great, but uh, I really just wanted to see. I really want to see just a field goal attempt. Like it didn't even, it didn't even matter if she made it or not. I wanted, I wanted to see her get, get a foot into it. Cause I saw the, I saw the, the tape from her, they showed a clip of her uh, kicking and playing soccer got a cannon, and she can boot it. So I'm looking forward. I'm really looking. Uh, I really want to see what, if she stays with it, if it's just for this one thing, is she going to throw some more attempts in for the rest of the year? Uh, really curious to see that. So it was a lot of, a lot of bits and pieces yesterday. Honestly, it was a lot of unpacking Christmas stuff because it is the season. So I was trying to get everything done before the Auburn Alabama game. Um, and the, the other cool thing that both you and I saw was uh, Jarrett Peterson turning in a monster day at Buffalo. 409 oh yards God. and eight touchdowns in a game. In a <laughs> game. Yes. And, and, and ties a 30-year-old record for touchdowns in a game. And he's and he's moved into second place for yards. His name in the history book. It's really kind of cool, even if it is Buffalo. Yeah, unfortunately, you cut out a little bit there. Um, he he's averaging eight point six on the season on the season. Eight point six every time he touches the ball. Um, last week he went for three oh one or three oh two somewhere in that area. And he's to to coin a phrase, he's on a tear. He's on a huge tear. And I watched all eight of his TDs, and like only three of them were the short yardage variety. The rest of them were all 20 plus against Kent. I mean, it was a game and inside the highlights. I'm watching the scores for every score that he says up until the third quarter, it was a game. It was a one score game all the way. Uh, and I guess it just hit to the point where it was just his, it was his show. Um, and he deserved every bit of it. Well, I was, I was kind of a little, I was kind of a little disappointed to see that the, the Buffalo actually had an opportunity with I think a minute and 15 left of the game, they had an opportunity to him a record. He could have, he could have, he could have scored nine touchdowns and they gave. So that kind of leads me to a question for you. When you have a personal performance like this, okay. And you have a tie. If you're put your, put your coaching on, do you let it? Go ahead and break the record. Do you let him, you know, gain it, or do you do you, do you play the good sportsman role and and 
and put in another guy? With that, that's a real tough question for me because I'm always the good sportsman guy. I, if that, and that game was well in hand at that point. And oh, sure. Definitely. It, oh, that's a tough one. You, you gotta, <laughs> I'd still stick my, for me personally. I'd still, still stick with the, the good sportsmanship side of things. Um, it'd be a tough conversation with, Jarrett on that one and I'd say hey listen you had a great game could have done it within 55 minutes but we've got the game in hand and I've got to play this guy another year see I I'm gonna go ahead I'm gonna go ahead and lean the opposite because this guy puts in a monstrous day for you okay now eight touchdowns great game nobody's arguing that but nine touchdowns, your your name is cemented, okay? And this kid has paid dues on, just go ahead and call it, a lackluster squad from Buffalo. He, he rushes over 1,000 yards as a freshman. He sets a school record the next year with 1,700 and some change. And he's set records for the first two game season. Well, get the, this. The ball. Give the man the ball. <laughs> I'd give I'd, I I kind of take it back. I'd give him a couple shots. I'd give him first down, I'd give him second down if they could break it free. Absolutely, but I didn't see the situation they were in, how close they were, what field what the field position was. Uh, I'd give him maybe first and second down. They they were, I think they were in the red zone. Ooh. Because <laughs> the guy, I think call. the backup punch. I think the guy punched it, the backup punched it in for about fifteen yards out. So, and oh yeah, that's gonna put him. <laughs> now you've got another problem because that puts him close to the yardage mark as well. Yep. Because because Ajay Piran from Oakland rushed four twenty seven five years five or six years ago. Yep. And think about this. This guy's got a six-game, a six-game season with the Mac. He's already at nine hundred plus. He's going to break a thousand yards in a six-game season. Think Easily. about that for a second. Easily. If he had, if he had a full season, and well, who knows? You know, if we had a, if it was a regular season. If it was regular spring ball, it was a regular fall camp. How would your opponents be? What point would you be? So forth and so on. There are so many different angles to this. There, there really is. There's, there's a lot of way ifs. There's a lot of tie-ins. I, I mean, it could go either way, really. Yeah, I want to. I want to backtrack to Sarah uh, Fuller real quick, and. Everybody on all the networks were saying history was made, so forth and so on. I'm not taking away from what she did. I'm not taking away from her getting on the field. What I'm getting at is that P5 versus G5 thing again. She's making history. She's the Uh first woman to play on a Power 5 team. Okay. Barrier was crossed quite a few years ago. Uh, girl from New Mexico, girl from uh, uh, Kent, 
Speaking of Kent again, um, at the, at the uh, FCS level, a uh, woman from uh, South Carolina State crossed it too. I believe it was South Carolina State. So, and I mean, it's been it's been done at the Division One level. Why do you have to put the emphasis on the P five and the G five? It's just, it's a more of that segregation. I'm bringing that word up. It's more of that segregation again. And that's the only thing that that's the only thing I had an issue with was what the media was making out, making it out to be, you know, absolutely outstanding feat for her to get the opportunity. And she did really well on that one single kickoff and placed it right where she should have placed it just that Missouri was on top of it and they had a, and had good execution on that play also. Like I said, I just wanted to see more. <laughs> yeah. Um, one kick, one, one kick, a kicker make. So then we're going to go into what our daily topic or weekly topic is. And that's, COVID, like we've mentioned so much before already on this episode, has affected this season monstrously. And the one thing that we kind of wanted to bring up was home field advantage and the quiet stadiums. They're trying to pump crowd noise in, but that's still not the same. It's not the garbage. Yeah, it's not the living it's not the living, breathing thing that is the big house that is Happy Valley. And even at our level uh, at Boise State, you roll into Albertson Stadium. And if it's got at least 25,000, you've got a you've got problems on your hands. Hey, Smurf turf. Smurf turf gets loud. No doubt about it. And I brought it up in last week's episode. Um, I watched the ball skate, (laughs) the ball state game last week. And I brought it up that I watched the ball state game last year and there were more people in the stadium for this year's game with COVID than there were in last year's game. That makes for a very quiet stadium. It's very weird. Last year, it, it feels uncomfortable. Watching a game that is that quiet, you don't have the ambience coming in from the microphones on the field. You don't hear the crowd. It's really odd watching that. Fast forward to this year, it's almost commonplace now. You're used to it. I don't like it. It's it just it makes for a weird experience watching it on TV. How do you feel on that one? Well, so I like the fact that they're trying to get people in the games. <clears throat> they're not pulling the NFL and just closing the doors. So there's still some crowd participation. But uh, yesterday, watching the Alabama game, it was it was oddly weird. One that. The Alabama fans and everybody else in the game were 
so evenly spaced out it looked patterned and but the difference between 19,000 and 100,000 is night and day and especially for teams that that have that home field advantage the crowd gets into it and just makes things miserable for opponents whether it be calling plays from the to getting them relayed to the sidelines, to just the shift of momentum. It it feels like a blank canvas almost where you can't you can't see the the game ebb and flow. And that's part of the crowd, what the crowd brings is the ability is the ability to shift a game, you know, where it goes into a direction where it's elevated. Part of the magic of is the ability to have that change, have the band, have the fans so immersed in the game that they affect the game. And I think, you know, with this topsy-turvy year that that's out the window. It's, you know, we're yeah, we're playing football, and don't get me wrong, I'm so thankful for that because everybody could have just shut it down and been done with it. So I'm thankful we're playing college football, but it feels like almost like a diet version, like you're not getting the full deal. I'll go back to yeah, I'll go back to the exhibition season description. This uh, this feels so much like an exhibition season. Um, just because of the lower crowd numbers. I mean, the East seems to be allowing more people in than the West. Out West here, it's zero, if anything. I mean, Boise State was going to uh, hold, if if the Boise State, San Jose State was going to happen, they were going to hold it down to only um, the families of the seniors to be able to, come in along with the band obviously the game management crew so you know it's it's been it's been really weird and and i can't imagine what it's like for the players down there i mean for the true freshmen especially coming like out of texas and out of california where you know some of those texas high school stadiums are larger than Washington State Stadium at thirty five thousand. You know, that's crazy to think yeah. about, and they're used to that big crowd, and they come in to think, "Oh, I'm going to go into uh, the big house. I'm going to go into Happy Valley. I'm going to go into Tennessee and have a hundred thousand screaming people." And all of a sudden, it's crickets. That's got to be surreal for them. Well, I think I think it just it comes with the preparation and that sort of thing. Well, to me, it feels like you touched on the exhibition aspect of it. To me, it feels almost like an end of summer scrimmage where you bring in another team from down the road and you have another team just basically practice against because you're going through all your game day setup. You're doing all the administrative things you need to do. And you're just playing against another team because that's what it feels like because the crowd is just – it's not there. And 
that's like we like we said earlier. That's such a big aspect of it, especially in college football. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, again, same thing. Scrimmage exhibition. It's got that feel to it. And I'm, I'm I, I'll go back to you know what the guys on the field. You know, they can get their own energy going, and you can see it. They're they're trying to get energy going, but there's so much energy that they can bring in from the crowd. I've seen it at Boise State when that stadium is absolutely full, and Boise State, you know, scores a quick touchdown. They'll kick off immediately in the first two or three plays of the uh, the opposing drive. They'll cause a turnover. The stadium goes nuts, and all of a sudden, those players, it's blood in the water at that point. So, Yeah, it, it really is. And I think, a, I think a big problem with younger football teams is you have to find that, that leader and that, that senior upperclassman leadership where you can generate, where you can generate your own momentum. And that's, and I've seen a couple teams that are, are a bit younger have that problem where you can't feed off the crowd. You have to generate your own, you have to generate your own momentum. And of course you have to do that anyway, but when you've got the crowd getting into it, you can feed off that. And it's just not there this year. Yeah. That's a great idea for next week. Um, I think we have just discovered our new topic for next week, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to probably go into how young these teams are, how we have true freshmen playing a lot now. We have redshirt freshmen, true sophomores. They're making up the majority of the rosters. So we'll discuss how that's affected uh, college football and where it will go from there back to today's topic. Yeah. It's, and it's not going to, it's not going to clear up. Uh, We're still going to have zero fans in the stand. I want to know how the CFP is going to handle this. You have these people that wait for tickets and I've tried to get tickets to the CFP when it uh, showed up into uh, Levi's stadium. I was going to try and get tickets. I had to get onto a waiting list, basically a lottery. And obviously I didn't win, but I wonder for those who have, who did win their tickets, how the CFP is going to handle that. Well, I was, (laughs) I was actually disappointed about that because uh, back in 2010, when Auburn was playing Oregon out in Glendale, Arizona, I believe. And I just so happened to be TDY at Nellis and I was battling and I was debating with myself. Do I rent a car and make the trip and go to the game? Even if I can't get in, I'll, I'll be there. Maybe scalp some tickets or something. And ultimately I decided not to. And had I known that it was one of those opportunities that not necessarily going to come around a whole lot, I would have done it. But just the t- just the price of regular tickets has gone up astronomically. I was I was actually looking at the upcoming matchup between Auburn and A and M, and that's a hundred thousand or that's an eighty seven thousand person stadium. 
they're only letting in, I think, 17, 19,000. And tickets, you can usually get upper bowl tickets for somewhere 60, 70 bucks, maybe. Starting out, they're $280. Yeah, they're trying to make up, they're trying to make up the lost, uh, the lost revenue because of the lack of, uh, filling the stadium. Yeah. And people, and people are paying it too. Um, we'll go ahead and wrap that up. Um, this next following week, uh, for Boise state, they, uh, they go into UNLV and to that brand new stadium. That's going to be absolutely empty and going to take on a UNLV squad that is sitting about 500 right now. They've improved, but they're not, they're not there yet. So this should, if Boise state gets to play, we don't know what the situation inside the locker room there is, if they'll get to play and if they'll have the the numbers, be able to do it. Um, Besides that, I'm going to, I'm going to take a look at the uh, coastal Carolina game. I'm going to try and get that. I tried that a couple weeks ago and that one got canceled. See how uh, it's Coastal Carolina and Liberty. We'll see how that goes. Uh, what are you going to be looking at, Trey? Well, I'm going to be looking at the Mercurial Auburn Tigers to see if they will bounce back against Texas A&M, who is ranked in the top five and is vying to take on Alabama for that SEC West crown. So they'll be squaring off at Jordan Hare uh, this Saturday, COVID permitting. And, and I'm looking forward to see if they can bounce back. In addition to that, I'm kind of curious as to what Marshall is going to do. Right now they're sitting 7-0, and and they're going to be taking on Rice, which should be, should be a beating of epic proportions because Rice not a strong squad. They're 1-2. But I'm kind of curious to see what this Marshall team is made of because they're kind of following in with uh, the Coastal Carolinas and the Liberties and that sort of thing as being kind of the underdog looking on the outside in. And I'm willing to I'm looking to see if they're going to stay undefeated and have a have a legitimate uh, contention for maybe the playoffs. So I'm going to be looking at Marshall and Rice. Right on. Uh, so with that again, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Um, and putting up with the technical issues that we've had, the, this is the first time the technical issue bug has bit us. Uh, we've worked through it and we'll keep on going from there. So if you like what you hear, go ahead and comment rate. We're on, uh, Apple podcasts now. So you can make those comments. Let us know where we can get better. Give us some ideas what we can talk about, and we can go from there. Like and like and share. Last thing before I want to touch on. Okay, uh, did you have a good Thanksgiving? Absolutely. Um, our family. Um, my sister in law lives based right behind us. Actually, we got a section of the fence out, nice. and my father, both my father in laws, because. Her dad lives with him and his dad lives with him. Both my father-in-laws came down with COVID about oh. two months ago. Oh, and no. prior, yeah, prior to that, we were having dinners together and we were treated as one household. Well, because of that, we hadn't had uh, a full family dinner for two months until Thanksgiving. And then we have, we're 
back together. Everybody's fine. Everybody's fully recovered. And we had a Thanksgiving dinner together. That's great. That's good to hear. Favorite, favorite Thanksgiving leftover? I have to go with the pie. Uh, can never go wrong with leftover pie. All right, guys, that's going to wrap it up. Thanks for joining us. If you like us, share us, rate us, give us something to talk, give us something to talk about. We'll see you next time on the uh, No Relation P5 versus G5 podcast. Steve? All right. Thank you very much, guys. And we'll talk to you next week.